Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. When you think of the tropics, it's almost impossible not to think of the rich and nutritious fruits that are indigenous to the area. Whether it be passion fruit, guava, or pineapple, these fruits are loaded with health benefits. My guests today, Walter and Norka Nimix, have established a fast-growing juice brand that brings the secrets of rural Latin America and the Caribbean to North America. Founding Just Made in 2016, the company promotes health and wellness and strives to be just with their farmers by supporting local communities in any way they can. Walter and Norka, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Hello, it's great to be here. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be here. Well, it's such a treat to have both of you here as well, side by side on the show. And let's just start with the founder's story. There are a lot of drinks on the market. There are a lot of drinks that claim to be purpose-driven, and many of which are, of course. And there are also some that you know come from Latin America and whatnot. What was the spark that created the moment or the idea for this business? And why now? When I say now, I mean 2016, which isn't that long ago. It was just six years ago. So I think the idea was born when we were living in Ecuador, which is my country, and Walter got used to these tropical, fresh, squeezed juices every morning, because <laughs> over there we have them fresh every morning. And you know, then we move back here, and Walter goes, or we go to the supermarket, you know, pick up some juice, and he's like, ah. Uh, this is not quite <laughs> what we used to have over there. And I, I think that's what sparked your, your idea, you know, at the beginning, that little... Yeah, it absolutely was. And it was also the fact that there are so many tropical fruits that are out there. And, of course, we're all familiar with mango and pineapple, but the variety is almost endless. And we would have juices like lulo, or naranjilla, mm-hmm. which is indigenous to Colombia and Ecuador. We would have uh, taxo, which is another fruit made as a juice, and different ones. And it was just really intriguing to me to discover this kind of whole new world of, of tropical fruits. And you add to that the fact that we were enjoying these juices every morning, freshly made. And I would ask about them, and they would tell me, oh, well, You know, guava is super nutritious. It's got lycopene in it. It's got lots of vitamin C. And so just learning about the fruits, seeing the incredible variety was just really intriguing to me, I guess. I remember Walter would even start designing like labels because he already had like that bug in him. You know, it's like, oh, maybe I can do this one day. put this in a carton and we would draw, you know, designs for the (laughs) name of the juice and things like that. And after that, we got busy in other things for a while. We did. Yeah, the uh, the first brand that we came up with, which I'm glad we didn't pursue, was Ambrosia, which (laughs) I'm glad we didn't pursue that one much further. But we moved back to the U.S. and we were talking earlier, we we raised our, our two girls and life kind of took its course and I continued working and I've always worked in food and from a young age all the way up until now and we continued working and I left my last company in 
late 2016, or sorry, mid 2016, and then we started Just Made not too long after that. And Walter, you grew up on a farm, right? I think you just alluded to that. You said as, as a young boy, but I'm sure that also helped to provide a little bit of backdrop and context for you know, the venture and gave you a little bit of vision for how you can transform something wholesomely and, and naturally into something that's commercially viable as well. That's true. I did grow up on a farm in Arkansas, a very rural part of the country and was very fortunate I think it was a good upbringing, and, but it really helped me to understand the perspective of the farmer, kind of, well, understanding the food industry really from the bottom. If you think of the food value chain, it's really, you know, most of it starts at the grower level. And it really helps to understand and appreciate what farmers go through really for, for our enjoyment. It's, it's a great life. It's not a, a necessarily the most profitable part of the food chain, but it's, you know, farmers, a lot of times they, they take enormous risk every single year. They put it all on the line, you know, hoping that they get rains at just the right time so that their crop can flourish and grow and it doesn't burn up in the field. And it's a lot of risk. It's a lot of hard work. And many times they make the least amount in the entire food value chain. And so part of what we, designed or developed when we started Just Made was that we wanted to create a company that really took the farmer into consideration. And that's why we created this fund called Five Cents for Teachers. And we can go into that in a little bit, why we chose teachers and education. But it's a way for us to give back to the growing communities. We all care about our kids. We all want the best for our children. We want the want to hand over a better world to them than what maybe what we had. And one way to do that is maybe to invest in, in education. And that's what we try to do with Just Me. And so you have this kind of end-to-end level of experience because, like you said, you grew up in a farm, so you, you understand what it's like to be a grower and the challenges with that and also issues around equity, right, and an equitable, just relationship. And at the same time, you also, you know, worked in agriculture, you worked for a sweetener company, you worked in retail, and you understand the food industry. How did you approach the growers in Ecuador with open arms and create a level of trust that's necessary for, no pun intended, a fruitful relationship? Sorry, I had to go there. I had Amara Mayu on not long ago, and they're sourcing from the rainforest, and you know, one of the challenges at the start was just kind of trust and navigating culture and making sure that everybody understands that the intent is for this relationship to be equitable, right? And profitable for everybody. There is that hurdle to overcome. And I remember the first time, you know, speaking with a group of farmers and also speaking with a director at a school, it was almost this, oh yeah, right. You're going to give us money just for nothing. And it's, it was, no, not we're, we're going to give you money. We're, what we're trying to do is, is support your school because this is where the children of the growers and the people that work in the packing plants and such, this is where they send their kids. And so if we're able to support their school, that might make the people that are working in the plant or in the fields or you know, growing the, the produce 
think, well, you know, this is for just made. I might prioritize their shipment because I know that they're they're doing good things for for us. I mean, it's it's not self-serving, but it's I think there is kind of a reinforcement mechanism that goes along with it that it it gives them an incentive, small incentive maybe to say, well, we want to support just made because we know that they're supporting us. It is circular, though. I mean, that's part of the idea here, right? Exactly. Yeah. Knowing the language also helps, you mm-hmm. know, because Walter speaks Spanish fluently. So when having lived in Colombia, in Ecuador, he's familiar with the with the culture also. Mm-hmm. There's some soft aspects to maybe managing, you know, those sorts of relationships and understanding that you're you're working with people that are they're not worldly and they're not necessarily. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but it's. You know, they're proud in a sense, but they're also, they want to be respected. And if, I think if you respect people, then, you know, things tend to, to go a long way. And Norca, are you, are you sourcing the ingredients from Ecuador currently? We were sourcing several ingredients from Ecuador, like the guava. The guava is really good in Ecuador, the pink guava. So the way we do it is we find, like, which country has the best taste in this particular fruit or vegetable and then we would go with that so it would it's not only ecuador but it's ecuador colombia it's mexico so central america it's brazil it's going to be different Mm -hmm. tropical areas Mm -hmm. and how do you determine this is a totally silly question because taste can be i guess it's subjective to an extent although that extent is dictated by the market, right? Because people vote with their wallets and what they like and what, what tastes good. But how are you determining what tastes the best and from what country? We try it. <laughs> we try it. We have friends try it. We have people at the office try it. We get feedback. It's like a little uh, survey, I guess. And we also make sure that the contents are low in sugar for the fruits, lower than some others. So we make a balance between which one has less sugar content and still tastes very well for our juices. Yeah. A good example of that, Aaron, is we buy a white pineapple as opposed to the yellow pineapple, which is very common here. In the industry, the yellow pineapple is known as an MD2. And it's been developed botanically to be very, very sweet. It's yellow, the flesh is beautiful and everything. But you actually get a more authentic flavor from some of the more traditional varieties that's generically known as, as a white pineapple. And we source a variety called Perola. It's a Perola pineapple from Brazil, which is a white flesh pineapple. And it has a really nice balance between the, the sweetness and the tanginess. And we feel like it gives a much more authentic flavor to the juices. I believe it tastes better, but you don't get that just kind of overpowering sweetness that you do with the yellow MD2s. I had no idea. This is what I love about the podcast. Like I learned something new every day. Yeah. I had no idea. And so are you saying though that the pineapple that I get, I hate to say it at a grocery store, is the yellow stuff that's actually genetically modified or it's been modified over the years or is that just certain strain? I don't believe it's genetically modified like in a lab. There is a genetically modified pineapple now that's right now coming out. It's an actually, it's kind of sounds a little bit gross. It's a pink pineapple. 
and it has been genetically modified where they insert a gene in a lab and then do that sort of stuff. But the MD2 goes back to, I believe, 1980s or 1970s when they were, it was just, you know, development of the variety over time, kind of more traditional. How do you think, this is a little bit of a controversial topic, although it shouldn't be, how do you think climate change is impacting growers and consumers and businesses like yours in the future? Big question. Sorry, big question. No, I mean, I've, I've got a, a thought or two, but farmers depend on predictable weather cycles. So in a country like Ecuador, I mean, here in the U.S., we've got kind of our four seasons. We all know them. In Ecuador, there's really two seasons. In a lot of tropical countries, is there are two seasons. There's the rainy season and the dry season. And, for example, growing rice in Ecuador, they will rely on rainwater and then they'll collect this rainwater into pools and then once those pools are full then they'll plant the rice and then there's no irrigation like there is in the u.s i mean there is but you know more traditional methods that they don't use irrigation and then they will allow the the rice to grow based off of that cycle so you know the rain and then it, it dries up and then the the rice grows but there's still a pool of water but if there's if that's disrupted, where, for example, if you get if you get a dry call it a dry rainy season, you may not be able to to plant because there's no pool there's not enough water to create the pools. Or if you get a, a rain during the dry season, that can totally interrupt that that growing cycle. And so it happens across all crops. Rice is just one that came to mind immediately, but it really does impact them you know, in kind of nuanced ways, I guess, with not being able to predict weather and you get dry periods, extended dry periods, which can disrupt flowering of, of trees. It can, you know, cause crops to die with more annual crops or biannual crops, that sort of thing. Or you can get excessively wet weather, which will knock the flower off of the tree or knock the flower, you know, off of the vine or whatever. And it causes fruit to grow that is excessively large because it fills up with water and then you don't get the bricks or the sugar in the fruit and so it tends to go bad more quickly so it's it's really there's a lot of different ways that climate change can impact these growers and it's really kind of scary to see because there's really no clear way for farmers to be able to adapt to something that's almost it's not totally random but it's certainly you can get some random weather events that can really throw off their crop cycles. I guess we also would have to resource to different places in the world. You know, if this is happening in this place, maybe we're going to source this fruit from here at this time and this fruit from this other region at this time of the year. But what's to come with all the climate change in the future? We don't know. Yeah. So speaking of fruit spoiling, you use a, a cold pressurized process, right, to maintain the juices. Is that the same thing as cold pressed? Like when I walk into a store and something says cold press, is that the same idea? Or is that more marketing speak? There's two ways to define it. One is, uh, is actually pressing the fruit and extracting the juice, okay? And that's done in a, typically in a cold environment, like a large warehouse that's been refrigerated. There's also the cold press in the sense of the juice is 
subjected to ultra high pressure, which can help extend shelf life. It doesn't immediately kill, but it, it can disrupt the, the life cycle of bacteria. And so what that does is it, it reduces the colonies of bacteria that are normally present into you know, something that will allow us to extend shelf life for you know, 90 days or something, which we get 90 days on our juices by this high pressure. It's called high pressure processing is kind of the industry lingo for it. Right. Where are you doing most of your manufacturing and processing? I'm assuming in the States and you're importing the fruit here and then doing it all here. Yes. There are a few fruits that it makes more sense for us to buy juice or in some cases a, a puree, but it's really, it's, it's flash frozen at source. We like to say we leave the skin and the seeds in the host country. So we're not transporting that, but most of our manufacturing is done here in Houston. We're just north of Houston in a town called Spring, Texas. Sure. And have you had issues post-COVID, supply chain, customs, bringing your fruit over? And how have you managed through that? Well, it was interesting. You know, just to give you an example, there were some weekends there during the COVID times that we were bottling sanitizer. And so we had to adapt. (laughs) But we made it the... You know, it's interesting, like juices like pink guava and ginger greens, we were selling like crazy during COVID times because of all the immunity benefits that those two have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and we just had to adapt, you know, to what was needed from our customers. Yeah. And also on the inbound, we were fortunate. I've come from a supply chain background, so I've it's something that we watch very, very carefully and being able to forecast out our demand and then being able to plan for that demand. But just inbound containers are just through the roof. I mean, we've all heard stories of, you know, a container that used to cost $4,000 now cost $18,000. You know, we're competing against electronics from Asia, which, you know, a container can be, I don't know, four, $500,000, I guess. So, Going from $4,000 to $8,000 is, you know, it's a couple of basis points off the margin. But when you're talking food, it's dramatic, the cost impact. Yeah. And are you self-funded or did you take on investors at the start? We started off on our own. And since then, we've taken on some investors, some angel investors that believe in what we're doing. And I think really buy in or, you know, agree with or support the mission of supporting schools but they also see the, I think the, the opportunity, the juice category has changed quite a bit just since we've started. There's been some consolidation in certain parts. There's been growth in other parts. COVID is, as Norka mentioned a, a minute ago, there were times when COVID was just like that March to May, June, 2020 time period, it was really touch and go for the business. But then we started really seeing demand really start to take off and category was growing well. Remember, orange juice was just through the roof. Orange juice had been on a this kind of slow decline of minus 5% year after year after year for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, orange juice was up. <laughs> but it was even more so in the premium juice category. And like Norka said, we, we offer some juices that offer really strong immunity benefits like the pink guava, and the, which has got a lot of vitamin C in it. Ginger greens was really popular and still is today. Yeah. 
Now you need like a, a anti monkeypox juice or something. Yeah. Right? Whatever the next thing is. It's, like, uh, it's very interesting, like to see how the consumer has changed. I think for positive change, you know, like we would do a lot of demos before COVID, and we would get more comments like, "Oh, but it needs to be sweeter," you know, and that has changed so much. Now we receive the complete opposite <laughs> feedback. It's like, oh, I like it that it doesn't have that sugary taste, but I can tell it's so natural, so fresh. So the consumer has become so much more knowledgeable about what to eat, what not to eat, what to put in their bodies after all of these COVID things that we all went through. It's been very interesting to see that change. Mm-hmm. This is a really naive question, but I'm going to ask it both for my own naivete, but also for those listeners who might be thinking this. Shouldn't all juice be vegan and gluten-free? And shouldn't all juice be built and developed at scale? What is stopping larger companies, the Tropicanas of the world, just as an example, from doing this? And not, not to put you out of business, but to follow your lead and your example of how to do business the right way. You know, that is an interesting question. I, yes, it should all be vegan. It should all be gluten-free because, I mean, we're not using wheat and juice. <laughs> and, yeah, so, but there's this constant, I mean, in the kind of the corporatist world, there's this constant, well, you got to beat last quarter's numbers or last year's numbers. You've got to show that you're reducing cost. You've got to find efficiencies. You've got to, you know, figure out a way to cut out the middleman, all that kind of stuff, which, you know, we see it as well. We try to manage our cost as, as carefully as we can, but, and we, we have our quarterly board meetings with our, our investors and we, we want to show growth and we want to show where we're, how we're able to manage cost in an effective way, but we're not going to do that and sacrifice the product because that's kind of the killing the goose. You know, it's, we want to make sure that we, first and foremost, produce a good quality product that people are going to enjoy, but they're also going to going to benefit from it physically, you know, they're by consuming it. We're not driven by a Wall Street or the, just the bottom line or anything like that. We, we really want to, I don't know, just like I said, make sure that we produce a, a top quality product and figure out ways to, to cut cost in other ways that maybe don't contribute to producing a good quality juice, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I I think it comes down to also what you believe when you start your business and what you want to give to your customers. And when I say customers, that means to our families, you know, also. So, like, maybe these become, I'm just trying to answer your question, trying to figure out what to say. Why don't they do it? And I'm thinking their belief, their interest is more in, these volumes, you know, they might water down their fruits and put, I don't know, other preservatives that we don't use any of that. Mm -hmm. So yes, our juice might not be 50 cents, you know, or I don't know, 80 cents, but we want to offer a quality product. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have these huge volumes because it's true fruit, true veggies in that bottle. So, so an example of that is our choice to use high pressure processing or cold pressure as opposed to heat pasteurization. 
they both accomplish the same thing in that they reduce micro growth in the juice. But one of them destroys flavor, destroys nutrients, it destroys color. And then they have to add back ingredients to make it taste something like a natural product. And it's, it's very efficient. It's not a batch process. It's a, a continuous process, the, the pasteurization, and it's very cost effective. HPP is less cost effective, but it produces a superior product. And I'm not trying to advertise HPP, but just it really, when you're doing it in a cold environment and the product is never exposed to heat, it's like a fresh juice. It's like the juice that I enjoyed in Ecuador. And it's, you're getting the authentic juice that has the nutrients, the color, the flavor, everything in it. And that's really the trade-off that, that you have to make. And, and the name says it all. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a consumer that, that wants to buy the, the 50 cent juice, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it might be 80 these days. Exactly. But you know, there's also a juice that or a consumer that wants the, the higher quality, you know, the $3, $4, $5 juice, as opposed to the less expensive. And I'm glad you didn't name it. I think you said ambrosia. That would have been um, a little rough. How did you come up with the name Just Made? I love double meanings and double entendres and puns like that. Maybe because I'm a dad, I don't know, kind of. But I, I just think it's kind of genius when we're able to do stuff like that. So how did that come about? You just asked that question and you took me back to our breakfast table when our girls were still at home. And that's where it started. We would just toss out names and the girls would say, no, daddy, no, that one sounds funky. And they would just give us their their feedback. And we kept thinking, thinking, even when we were driving, you know, like to places, um, mm -hmm. we would think in, in names. And yeah. then you, you put it together with all of what we were saying. I won't tell you the other name that I almost, that I went after because you'll, <laughs> it'll be too embarrassing. <laughs> But yeah, we, we did. We talked about a lot of different names around the breakfast table and on car rides and things like that. And I was actually driving to my somewhere one morning and I texted our younger daughter at a stop sign. Um, <laughs> I, I texted her in all caps, just made. What do you think? And she said, that's it. And so that's when we, um, we went after the brand and were able to register the, the brand. It's funny, I mean, coming from a branding and marketing background, obviously, it's one of those things where, again, people outside of it don't realize how hard it is to come up with the right name, but you know it when you hear it. It's almost instant. And it's kind of like art. Actually, I'm not a big art person, but for the little bit of art I've bought in my life, when you keep coming back to the same thing over and over again, that the answer is probably, well, that's the thing you need to go with or buy, right? And that's probably what happened with you. But you have to have patience and you have to stick with it, just like anything in life, right? I love it. I think I think it's an awesome name. Now, can you, I just one more kind of large question. Walter, I know that you understand food, retail, you worked for, is it H-E-B? How do you say the name of this company? Because it's not in the Northeast. Yeah, it's H-E-B. It was actually the son of the original founder. His initials were H-E-B. Okay, got it. So, so you have some experience there. You understand shelves. So hard to get shelf space, right? It's hard to break in. Were you using a little bit of both, you know, knowing what the sales pitch is and some of your network and connections 
and the fact the product's awesome, like who was the first one to sign on? Was it HEB or was it somebody else? And how long did that take? It was HEB. They were the first ones. They have a program in Texas called the Quest for Texas Best. And HEB is a wonderful corporate citizen, you know, here in, in Texas, have a huge following. People really love the company. Whether you work in food or not, people just love it. And so they have this program every year that is called the Quest for Texas Best. And they invite small manufacturers from all over the state. The only requirements are is that you're a small food or a small manufacturer. You don't even have to be a food manufacturer. That you have an idea that it's can be commercialized and that you're based in Texas. Those are the only requirements. And so we applied in actually in early 2017. I think there were over 600 small manufacturers that fit that profile that applied that year. And we went through the process with them. They came and visited. They called us up and said, we want to visit your manufacturing facility. And we kind of looked at each other and said, what <laughs> like, oh shit, we need a manufacturing <laughs> facility. <laughs> and the blender. <laughs> and the blender, right. I was just getting started with a co-packer and, and working with them. And so we kind of pieced the visit together from that. But we kind of went through the process with them. And then by August of that year, we went to the finals. They had the, the final group of, of suppliers and we were one of them. And we got to present in front of, in front of some big HEB executives, but also some outside people. There were a couple of chefs there, I think. There were like the, I don't remember exactly, I think like the president of the local food bank, people that are involved in food, but not just HEB people. And so we presented to them and the buyer for juices was in the audience and he, he picked us up. He thought that this little company just made by uh, Norca and Walter had some potential. And so he, he put us on the shelf. We started off with four items and that's what we launched with actually in December of 2017 is when we launched the brand. And then they placed us in that produce because they they saw that we had more potential there, being mm -hmm. that it's a natural, healthy beverage. Yeah. And uh, then it it had a really uh, good answer from the from the customers, and they find us quicker. That's the product that they're looking for, and yeah, it's been good. It's like Shark Tank, basically. It's like their version of Shark That's Tank. Exactly what they described it as. Yeah. Yeah, they said this is going to be like Shark Tank, and we actually danced on stage. <laughs> we had music and everything. We had, you know, I tried, I don't know, I think you too, but I tried not to look at all the people that were behind these big lights because we were like on a stage, but we were being judged. I mean, there were all these several community members. Like Walter said, it was not just HED members. They invite community members to this, and they're the ones who vote. And so, yeah, we we did the whole presentation there. <laughs> it was just like maybe more intimidating than Shark Tank. I don't know. <laughs> it was more people. I love it. You know, it's it's that is high pressure. It's a different kind of high pressure, but I love stories like that. And so my last question, I'm not going to ask you to name your favorite daughter, but I'm going to ask you to name your favorite juice. <laughs> For each one of us? Yeah. Because it's not the same. No, it's not. You go first. <laughs> I really like the pink guava. Do I, can I choose more than one? Because I like more than one. 
<laughs> so I like the pink guava. I like the pineapple ginger. Those are my favorites. Yeah. I have to go with papaya ginger. It was actually the first fruit, the first juice that we developed. And a quick story about that. The first time I tried papaya, we were in Norca's mother's house, and I, I did not like it at all. And she said, well, hang on just a minute. And she grabbed a wedge of lime and she squeezed the lime over the top of the papaya. And she said, okay, now try it. And it completely transformed the, the flavor. And is that amazing? It's just it a little is. acidity, right? Just a little, yeah, a little acidity. Yeah. It completely changed it. That was the first juice that we developed. It, it's a blend of papaya with passion fruit and lime. And then we blend in some ginger. Papaya is great for digestive health. It's got lots of vitamin C, and plus you've got the ginger in it. So that that one's my favorite. It's got a special place for me. I'm going to try that, but I'm going to add tequila to it, if you don't mind. You I think that would make it even better. <laughs> that was good with mango moringa. <laughs> Since you chose two, I get to choose two. That's so right. My second favorite is one that we just developed. It's called prickly pear watermelon. And it's prickly pear, which is, of course, the fruit from the cactus. It has great hydration, but properties, benefits. It's got lots of potassium. It's almost like a natural isotonic or natural Gatorade. And then the watermelon is similar. It's got potassium in it. It's great for hydration. And those two flavors just work exceptionally well together. So those are my two. That sounds like a really good, you know, post-workout recovery drink in some ways, potential. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. See, I could I could be a shell for your company. I could do it. And if, if I don't, if I'm not near a location that sells it, can I buy this online? And where can I buy this online? Absolutely, uh, we sell online. You know the the major dot coms and stuff. Also our, from our own website. But we're in a little over two thousand points of sale now. So we started with HEB. We're in the Northeast in the Manhattan, Brooklyn area through a distributor that we partnered with up, up there. We will start very soon with a much larger retailer in the Northeast. I guess I can say a key food has, has picked us up. And we, we're in the Southwest and we're in Southern California. Yeah. So if you want to find like the locations, we try to update our website as much as we can. We have a wonderful marketing manager. And she takes care of that. And you go to www.justmate.com mm -hmm. and you can either order your juices online or you can actually put your zip code and it will show you if there are any locations right around you where the juice is available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to get you into Wegmans. I'm sure you're talking to them, but this is perfect for Wegmans. Perfect. It is. It is. Say that, say that louder. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what's going to happen when we when we drop this episode and we post it, we publish it. Um, I will send it to people I know at Wegmans. I don't know very senior people there, but I know enough that hopefully they'll listen to it. <laughs> the Wegmans is like food porn. Like I love going to Wegmans. That's like a great day for me, and I'd love to see your product there. Uh, we would too. We would love to be there. <laughs> beautiful stores. Yeah. I thank both of you for coming on the show. It's such a I, first of all. I love it when couples find companies, especially when they're able to create such an amazing company that gives back that's circular and also has roots back Norca to, you know, where you grew up and, you know, and your family and your culture. And I just think that it's really beautiful and unusual and it doesn't happen that often. So, and you're able to commercialize it and bring a healthy product to the masses. So 
Thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your generosity. I'm going to go online. I'm going to order. And I encourage all of our listeners to do the same. And I'll reach out to Wegmans for you. No problem at all. Thank you so much. <laughs> Love being here. That was that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Aaron. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies, organizations, and people. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our production team, including Maria Bias, Michael Grubbs, Anna Lamb, Haley Sackett, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show, sponsorship opportunities, and host by emailing bop at kwtglobal.com or visiting aaronquitkin.com. Find us on LinkedIn and Instagram under Brand on Purpose Podcast. Mm-hmm.